0: Number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio.
1: I've got diphtheria
0: crushing my esophagus. I've got some boulder vibes dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsitating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. So I Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve! It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Tacey. Hello, Tacey. How are Hello, you? Hello,
1: Steve. Hello, everyone.
0: This is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call. 347-766-4323. Pooh head. <laughs> yeah, well. If you're listening to us live, the number is 754-227-3647. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy, or go to our merchandise store at cafepress.com slash medicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on the show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Don't forget to check out stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs. S T U F F.drsteve.com. And just check out drsteve.com in general. There's some cool stuff on there. Um, if you want to lose weight with me and achieve your ideal body weight, and I'm continuing to lose, and so is Tacy, uh, doing very well. Uh, very proud Back on of you.
1: board, but I'm drinking.
0: Yeah, well, okay. Well, that's okay. You can, you can do that. Uh, Noom dot com noom n o o m dot com you get uh, two free weeks and twenty uh, percent off if you decide to keep doing it and it's not a diet and it's just a three week or a three month program and then you can be done with it and uh, if you want archives of the show uh, go to drsteve.com. dot com in the middle of the page there is a link that says get every a copy of every show you get a thirty two gig hard well, a hard drive a thirty two gig uh, thumb drive and you get a while well, supplies last a weird medicine mask
1: the ugliest mask you have ever <laughs> and then
0: seen. there's another little surprise that i throw in there as well so check that out as well uh, go to drsteve.com. well um here we are again here we are i had something interesting i thought we should talk about it, it was an experience we had this week and i'm trying to figure out how to exactly we picked apples tell tell this story um, so let me just let me just put post this as a hypothetical for everybody out there and without talking about anything that this this is a completely different topic forget what i just said uh this has nothing to do with uh with us whatsoever but i thought uh, this is an also an interesting thing if you're going to harvest um hot peppers like uh, let's say jalapenos or ghost peppers or habaneros, um, even if you wash your hands thoroughly afterward, uh, that oil, there's some of it is still on there. <clears throat> and if you then put um, say, I don't know, some sort of lubricant in your hand, and then I don't know, accidentally or on purpose um, touch an intimate part of your body, and you know, rub it all over <laughs> that part of your body, and then I don't know, maybe have contact with a, you know another person. That's or something. enough. Okay, so I'm just saying, speaking hypothetically, um, you're gonna you're. You will regret it. That's all I can say. You will absolutely regret it. And um, you uh, applying water to that area makes it worse because it's an oil. So let's talk a little bit about capsaicin. Capsaicin in plants like that is kept in oil. And uh, that's why if you eat it and you drink water, it kind of makes it worse because oil and water don't mix. So the water just goes on by and then the oil just sort of the molecules stand up to oppose the water molecules and just make it that much worse. So uh, whole milk will do or, um, you know, soap. And water will will help, but um, it's an interesting, um, hypothetically speaking, for these this case study that we're talking about, the c- color of the that say intimate skin changes and it looks like it's uh, from somebody else's body that's bright red. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about a long time ago um, m- people that called in that had accidentally you know, pleasured themselves using Vicks VapoRub. And it, you get this sort of warm feeling that feels almost, oh, you know, kind of good. And then after you complete the transaction, for some reason, some switch goes off and it's just like um, the skin that it touched has turned into molten magma from uh, it, under the uh, crust of the earth. So uh, don't recommend that. And uh, this is like a thousand times worse than that. So that's all I had to say on that. <laughs> so Tacey's being very that's quiet. That's enough of this was that, was that okay? Did I, did I do okay on sure. that? Sure. It's probably still a little bit too much information, but perfectly hypothetical, though. We're just trying to warn our listeners not to... Uh, Do something stupid like that, and then they're because they're going to regret it anyway. um, Don't forget to check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. Check out drsteve.com. I had someone asking about uh, the Ferber method of um, uh, baby raising, and it's kind of a ultra strict version of baby wise
1: Oh wow! and
0: I just said I'm not cool with a real strict ba- so people that don't know uh, when you have a baby one of the ways that you can get them to sleep all night is for them not to think that this world that they've just been born into is just nothing but chaos and when, when everything is chaotic they're just going to scream all the time because that's the only way they can get any uh, solace is to scream and then you pick them up But if they know what's coming, right, when they wake up, they know they're going to get fed. They know that you're going to change their diaper right after, and then you're going to put them down for a nap. And then it's sleepy time, and when they wake up, they're going to get fed again and lather, rinse, and repeat. And they know what to expect. And when a kid knows what to expect, they know what's coming next, all of that stress and fear and anxiety from just the chaos of this noisy world when they spent nine months in the womb, which is nice and warm, sort of monotonous, uh, uh, all of that kind of goes away. So Tacey wrote all of this stuff up, and we have it on our website at drsteve.com. You go to the upper right-hand corner and click uh, one-page baby manual, and it kind of walks you through it. I just think the difference between her method, which is a distillation of baby-wise, and then I wrote a paragraph at the end distilling a 130-page book called Happiest Baby on the Block down to one paragraph. (laughs) Because really, in that whole book, it was one concept, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. And and, uh, really could have just been a one-page pamphlet. But anyway, um, so that's in there as well. But the difference is that... We and Baby Wise and other people and Tacey's writing advocates that if you need to deviate from that for a good reason, just do it. It's not something that you have to be so strict that you it's like, oh, no, we can't get in the car right now because, you know, in 20 minutes, it's the baby's feeding time. You just feed them then or get in the car and feed them or do whatever. Or if you're on an airplane and they're crying. You can go ahead and feed them now, even though their real feeding time isn't for an hour. And uh, uh, so it's a little less strict, a little more common sense, in my opinion. So what do you think?
1: I agree with you. Okay. That's all I have to say. Okay.
0: Very good. Well, that was easy. Um, I wish the rest of our life was that easy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Did you have some... uh, some topics for us today Tate?
1: yes, I have a few, and then let's get to questions. Yes, I think we have that's a bunch what of questions. people like the most um, moderna says its coronavirus vaccine shows promising results in a very small trial of elderly
0: patients excellent and okay. that includes me now
1: now, so when I say small trial, I mean ten adults oh, between well, the ages of fifty six and seventy okay. now, this is on c n b c okay um. Each so, participant received two doses of the vaccine yeah. about a month apart, Okay, and um, it appeared to neutralize antibodies.
0: Oh, okay. So it produced neutralizing antibodies. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, it, in, a, in a study that small, they can't really tell if it prevented anybody from getting the disease. So you get 10 people, and, well, none of them got it. Well, so what?
1: So they think that it produced these antibodies. Um, that they believe are necessary to build immunity to the virus and T-cells.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go.
1: So, but 10 people, I guess, is better than zero, and it apparently is newsworthy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, The importance of this is that even people my age can produce the correct immune response. This isn't a study looking at, does this vaccine prevent people from getting coronavirus, because to do that, you got to treat thousands and thousands and thousands of people and then compare that group against a a matched group that wasn't given the vaccine and see if there's a statistically significant difference in um, symptomatic cases or asymptomatic cases or whatever you happen to be studying for that. This is... They gave them the vaccine. Did they produce antibodies? So they're likely to produce um, a, an immune response that would be effective. And that's that's good news because people in my age group, and i got I to gotta quit saying that, but I'm 65 in, uh, what, 14? No, uh, 20 days, mm-hmm. and I'll be 65. And uh, that sucks. I'm just going to give myself one of those. And the one one thing that I— hate about turning 65 is it makes me less likely to be alive to see uh, Justice League 2 and the new Suicide Squad movie and all this new DC stuff that's coming it looks awesome. Everything all of a sudden DC is hitting on all cylinders and I know you couldn't care less.
1: Yes, I've been forced to watch all the trailers.
0: Yeah, but God, didn't that Batman trailer look awesome though?
1: I mean, I'll watch it.
0: I have said for years and years, and this is completely off topic obviously, but um that the Riddler shouldn't be some goofy guy dressed in green tights with question marks all over the place. Uh the Riddler should be like seven. The seven the the David Fincher movie Seven was really kind of a version of the Riddler in the way that um what Todd Peterson's or what Todd Phillips's Joker was, you know, a a different, sort of more gritty, real version of the joker and um that's what this is looking like it looks like it's um you know a lot of these superhero movies will have different genres and one is the heist movie so ant-man is heist movie and then um uh, uh captain america civil war not civil war um The Winter Soldier was sort of a spy drama, right? And then they've got romantic comedies and things like that, which is sort of, you know, the teen romantic comedy, sort of the Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man movies. Uh, This looks like a dang superhero serial killer movie, a David Fincher-like movie. And by the way, I'd love to see David Fincher do a superhero movie. So uh, I I could not be more excited about the Robert Pattinson Batman right now. And, That's uh, good. Yeah, I know you don't care. <laughs> I, you know, I'm gonna. I only drag you to the important ones. You see the Avengers ones. Yes. And uh, the, really, right now, those are the only ones I'm dragging you to. I, I quit dragging you to DC movies after Batman v Superman. Because I I don't think oh I,
1: that was terrible oh no, I
0: I I hear what you're saying the theatrical version and we were in an IMAX that the IMAX wasn't working right and so that that ruined it I love Batman v Superman matter of fact the reason I came to bed so late last night is because I watched it again
1: did you really? yeah the
0: ultimate version though is completely different and way better than the theatrical version. So um, now, and now we have so that's sort of the Snyder cut of Batman v Superman, and now we've got the Snyder cut of Justice League coming out that I'm also very excited about. But anyway, nobody cares what I think about any of this stuff. But um, I, I, I am interested in seeing Seven as a Batman movie. So. Um, where, why, why was I talking about all that?
1: I, I have no idea, honestly.
0: <laughs> did, did I just really do a quantum jump from talking about coronavirus yeah, to Batman? I, I have don't
1: know. No, I, I don't know. Okay.
0: All right. So where were we?
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I have another article okay. that um, the CDC is now saying healthy asymptomatic people who come into contact with COVID-19 patients don't need a test.
0: Okay. So... What they are saying is, um, but they're not speaking to whether they need to be treated because right now there is no treatment for outpatients. So um, they are saying we don't care about asymptomatic, the number of asymptomatic individuals right now. I kind of disagree with that. Um, if, if we're not going to do the, the expensive saliva or up-the-nose tests, the polymerase chain reaction tests, where you're actually looking for viral genetic material, why not just test everybody for antibodies? Get a, There are a couple of these that are on the market that seem to be very specific that have been tested on blood that was drawn before the, uh, this novel coronavirus emerged, and they don't show any false positives. In those uh, in those tests and just test everybody. Let's let's see what the prevalence of this thing really is across the whole country. I think that would be fascinating. It wouldn't be uh, that expensive con- compared to some of the stuff that they're spending right now. Uh, if it costs 10 bucks a test, uh, I think at that volume, you could probably get it down to five bucks a test. So there's five. um uh, that would be $5 times $350 million. You know, it would be, what, $1.5 billion or something. <laughs> Still, no, that's not right. Is that right? I don't know. Five times, ta- yeah. Sorry.
1: Would you like me to do it on my calculator? Yeah,
0: just um, five times three. Let's not do all the kids. Let's just do the adults. So okay. let's say uh, five times two. Well, okay, so, it'd so it would be a billion dollars. So it would be a billion-dollar okay. experiment. To test two hundred million people in this country, so maybe that's crazy, but um, I do. I, I think to, I think test everybody. But what they're saying is, if you come into contact with somebody and you don't have any symptoms, it's unlikely you're going to transmit it to anyone, and uh, you don't need to be tested just because you came into contact with them. Now, if it's a close family contact, uh, each state and each employer may have different rules on whether you need to. Um, uh, uh, whether you need to quarantine yourself for some period of time. So the the deal with asymptomatic transmission is you're less likely to transmit it if you're not coughing and snotting, but you're in contact with more people, lots and lots more people. Okay. If you're symptomatic, you're probably only coming into contact with very few people, healthcare, and then your immediate family, and that's it. And they, you should all be quarantined. And... Um, so, yeah, you're more likely to transmit it if you're symptomatic, but you're more likely to come in contact with people if you're asymptomatic, so it kind of uh, evens out. All right. Okay. What else you got? Good ones. Uh-oh. What? Nothing. I thought you lost your window.
1: Scientists find that diol What? It's um an insect repellent can kill COVID-19.
0: Is it like citronella? Uh, uh, Can you spell it for me?
1: C-I-T-R-I-O-D-I-O-L.
0: Citriodiol. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So do you know anything else about this? Nope. Okay. So you're just reading me that. That's okay. So you know what else uh, can kill COVID-19? Hydrochloric acid, sulfuric acid. Bleach? uh, Bleach, heat, all these things. None of this is clinically relevant. You know, so let's let's look at this article. Well, this
1: says it's derived from the leaves and twigs of the eucalyptus citriodora.
0: Right. Right. So
1: it, is that citronella?
0: I I don't know. I don't know. You could look at, look up citronella see if it comes from the same place. I'm looking at this. It says insect repellents containing citriodiol are not believed to be a, enough alone to protect people from the virus. Well, no kidding. It because
1: says it just adds an extra layer. It can be used as
0: an additional layer of defense along with face masks, hand washing, and other health threat. Where do they want it? What do they want us to do with it? Uh, citriodiol which has approval for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, is derived from the leaves and twigs, the eucalyptus. citriodora. Um, <clears throat>
1: I may be wrong, but it doesn't seem to be the same.
0: It says what we can say is that we do feel there's a good chance it would work against this virus. But, of course, it needs to be thoroughly tested. Well, yes, but we're not going to be taking it orally. What, are we going to spray it on ourselves? And somehow that's going to uh, just be. Beca- OK, so let's talk about in vivo versus in, in vitro, because this is frustrating. This is kind of clickbait. Um, something that works in the test tube by no means is guaranteed that's going to work in the human body because the human body is infinitely more complex um <clears throat> or so so more complex it might as well be infinitely more than a model that's in a test tube. So in the test tube you got a bunch of cells and they're infected with SARS C O V two. You dump in some citriodiol and now um, the cells die. Well, okay, I could heat them up to 200 degrees too. That doesn't mean that we should all get in an oven, you know. So I, I, I don't like things like this because now there are, there will be some people that will go out and, and get drink it, uh, drink it or do whatever with it, thinking that they're doing. Going to get really hurt. Do not do that. This has not been studied in humans. This is just some pilot stuff, and I don't. It's not even newsworthy. And it could be that this company put out a press release because they want to generate some buzz for their company. I don't know, but uh, we will. Okay, here's something from uh, Sky News. Oh, they did. Okay, so they did a. Here it says a preliminary study. So let's just see what this is.
1: Yeah, my article came from New York Post.
0: Yeah, that's what I was looking at too. So a product found an insect repellent can kill the strain of coronavirus. Okay, the Britain's Defense Laboratory has shown. Okay. Scientists at the Defense Science and Technology Laboratory are sharing preliminary findings, so others are able to others are able to conduct further research. They uh, Britain's armed forces were issued with an insect repellent that contains a product called citriodiol, because it was believed it might offer a new layer of protection against COVID-19. Uh, defense scientists subsequently conducted research to see whether it provided a protective layer against COVID. I don't know what layer. Uh, uh, the company, uh, it, it, this, I want to see the study. We, I'll tell you what, Tace, Um if you would um, leave a note for us to look and see if we can find a study that's been published on this. Because this, this journalism, this is the problem with medical journalism. They're not, what layer? We don't absorb this stuff through our skin. Now, if they're saying if you put spray it on your hands, it gives you longer lasting protection than just washing your hands because washing your hands just washes it off, that it kills it after you touch it and you don't have to wash your hands as frequently. I'm all in on that. That would be cool. We've got... um, some hand sanitizer downstairs that supposedly kills things on your hands for up to six hours no clue if it really does would be very easy to test but um, that may be what this is ta- what they're talking about here but the journalism on this on both uh, sky.com and uh, the New York Post is so bad that I can't make heads or tails out of this research So, alright?
1: Okay. Okay the last thing I have oh. is from NBC News <laughs> Yay, I know. Um, being six feet away may not always be enough distance to protect from COVID 19.
0: Oh, really? Of course. Of yeah. course.
1: Exactly. It says you should um, pay attention to things such as if you're indoors, how's the ventilation, a large crowds, prolong, prolonged contact time yep. with no face coverings. Well, okay. Um,
0: yeah, the longer you're in contact with someone that's infected, of course, the more likely it is that you're going to be infected.
1: And it says six feet apart, inside and outside.
0: Yeah. Oh, Okay. I I don't disagree with any of that. Here's the thing. We talked about this before as well. This is a bell curve. So the six feet thing cuts down transmission significantly. If we want to stop all transmission, all of us right now need to get into hermetically sealed containers. And stay there, and that's everyone in the world until uh, every person that's infected either dies or clears the infection, and no one is shedding virus. So we know we can't do that, so our goal is to mitigate risk to mitigate, to decrease transmission. and yes, um, some people will get it through aerosols, very few people, but some will. Some will get it from fomites, meaning touching things, very few, but some will. Some will get it even if they're six feet away from somebody. Mm -hmm. Very few, but some will.
1: Especially that says if people are shouting or singing. So, like at church, where people think they're being careful.
0: Yep. They're singing. Choirs really should be wearing masks, particularly if they are close to the congregation. Uh, There have been several cases. Uh, There was one in Korea, South Korea, I believe, where uh, one person in the choir transmitted it to a whole lot of people. But they were very closely um, uh, uh, in, you know, uh, closely crowded in together. So, uh, but all of these things are true. All of those things can happen. Reducing all of this to zero is impossible unless we just, as I said, hermetically seal ourselves from the world. So our goal is to decrease transmission to the point where the virus will naturally fade away. And to do that, we have to get that R sub T below one. And we're getting very close to, or we're at a simple majority of states right now let's go to rrt.live that's rt.live and that will give you the effective reproduction number and wow okay so two-thirds of states have an r sub t of less than one right now which means that if they continue like this they whatever they're doing they will have uh, declining numbers okay now i've had people say well it's just burning out okay I, I I hear that you're saying that. I don't see evidence that it's just burning out because you've got places like South Dakota, Hawaii, and Iowa, North Carolina, where it isn't burning out. They've got an R sub T that's greater than one, and they're having increasing cases. And then you have places like Spain where all of a sudden they've got these huge spikes. And so I, I don't think it's burning out on its own. Uh, we are doing this, and this is concerted effort by a lot of people. Um, I, I do think that it is—it's um, problematic when you lock down so strictly, and and do try to hermetically seal everything. But yes, you'll have very few cases and very few people dying from it, which is a good thing. But your economy will be destroyed. So uh, we have to find some balance there. And uh, there's no single life that's worth this. But there's uh, people are losing their lives. Uh, through um losing their jobs and becoming bankrupt and losing their homes mm-hmm. and suicide and depression and all those things as well, so you know yes, there you go all right that that 's what you got
1: wasn 't that an interesting um psychiatry appointment? Steve sat in on it with me today. I had my psychiatry appointment and um just for a med check, and he sat in on with me and you would never even think that I was at the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting?
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like, oh, well. Oh what's Steve doing home? <laughs> I wish I had a job, but at home. It's like, or and I said, I'm on an administrative day. I'm working. He's like, oh, that must be nice. I said, well, every day for a shrink is an administrative day. And he's like, whoa. And so <laughs> I was like, well wow, that's some, some psychiatry appointment. How much did he charge you for that?
1: Well, the insurance covered it, but that's just pretty <laughs> much how they are. And, <laughs> and I think the only clinical question was, um, how are you doing? How are you doing? Med's the same. How you yeah.
0: taste? How are you doing?
1: <laughs> I'm good. All right, then. <laughs> and there was a student. And he's doing and on
0: telemedicine. That... He is working from home.
1: Yeah. A, um, no, he's, at, he's in his office. Oh, yes. Because okay. you have the option now. And yeah. he had a student with him. I wonder what that student learned. Oh, yeah. Day one ask patients how they're <laughs> doing. <laughs> Stru-
0: structured inter- psychiatric interview number one. How are you doing? <laughs>
1: uh and i'm not ashamed to say that i go to a psychiatrist because i need my xanax that's just all there is to it oh
0: wow yeah huh i didn't know you did that (laughs) what (laughs) i'm just kidding All right. Well, you want to take some questions? Yes, I do. Do we have anything else to talk about? Okay, so we talked about don't um, put lube on your hands after you've uh, cut uh, hot peppers and then touch intimate parts of your body. We've talked about um, uh, the bell curve of human transition. Oh, well, the other thing I was going to say is, yes, all those things will happen. And we can't make them zero, but the vast majority of people are caused by droplets within six feet of somebody else, and neither one is wearing a
1: mask. So I've heard this rule, um, that the virus is more or less contained if you have less than five cases per 100,000 people. Okay. And, okay, this is just what I've heard, so good luck looking it up. Uh, But (laughs) um, So... How how do you like I was trying to do math with somebody that I work with and it it went horribly wrong. We couldn't figure it out. How how would you figure that out? Or is that even interesting enough to talk about? Should this be a one off?
0: No, it's very interesting. Okay. Everybody else is like, no, it's not. I'm sorry, everybody. You have five per hundred thousand. Well, if they're all in the same household and they are uh, contained and you quarantine those five, then nobody else can get it. So that's New Zealand. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's not anywhere else. It can't just pop up at random. It has to be transmitted from one person to another. But
1: do you take so, the population and divide it by, like, how do you find out where you are Oh, oh, oh in your oh, state? Okay. Or yeah. in your region?
0: Okay. Well, I can tell you exactly. Because you go to Labs dot com and that's our friend Daniel stout, you know him he's our uh, webmaster and he's also a genius and uh, he just whipped this up in an afternoon and uh you go to u s data and what do you want to do? you want to just do it by state
1: i want to see i want to see where we are
0: where we are mm-hmm. okay, so what I'm going to do is do cases per hundred thousand and let's do the lowest number of cases per hundred thousand um so uh u s total is seventeen cases per hundred thousand okay and I'm wondering if this math could be possibly right. Let me see here um, total Well, ca-
1: we tried to figure it out, and we couldn't, but I mean, I really didn't try that hard.
0: yeah, okay, so Vermont had uh, f- uh one thousand five hundred and seventy two and that gives them two hundred and fifty per hundred thousand. So the lowest one is 250 per 100,000. So I don't know where that where that number is coming from. Now, if you're talking about active cases.
1: Yes, active cases. Okay. Sorry. So
0: let's see here. Let's do new cases. Yeah. So what so basically what you do is you take your population and you divide it by 100,000. So what's the population of Tennessee? Let's do the You got your calculator out, get your calculator out. Population of Tennessee,
1: six point eight nine million.
0: Okay, six point eight nine million. Now we want to know. Um, so, how many blocks of hundred thousands do we have? So, do six point eight eight three million divided by hundred thousand?
1: Okay, I'm just going to do. Oh, Crap, I can't well, even okay. think Look, I can work the damn don't calculator. Worry about it. Don't worry, if don't I'm worry being about honest. it. Don't worry about it. Don't do it that way then. Because got... I can't do. Does it make sense to do six point eight three three? Million?
0: Yeah, you can do that, or you know, times ten to the six or whatever. Let's do it this way. I used to be able to ask Alexa this stuff, but I don't have her hooked up. So let's go to Tennessee, and let's see where um, where we are. This is fascinating for everybody, by the way. So we had one hundred forty-five thousand four hundred seventeen total cases, right? Mm-hmm. So now take one four five four one seven. You got your calculator? Yes. 145 417. Four one mm-hmm. And then divide it by 6829000. Zero, zero, zero.
1: Zero, 0.021294.
0: Okay, now that's that's um, per that's 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 just the fraction of cases. So if you want to know how many it is per hundred people, 100 people,
1: 100,000.
0: I I know. So um, you would multiply it. So if you want to know, like, per 100, you would multiply it times 100, right? And that will give you the percentage. So for you to know per 100,000, you would multiply it times 100,000. And see what you get, and we'll see if it's close to this. Because I have a number here.
1: I have 2,129.
0: There you go. And that's, that's the right number. So there you go. That's what I've got here, too.
1: So we have somebody's not going to work for a while.
0: 2,100 cases per 100,000.
1: And all the math nerds are yelling at us because we probably did it wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm trying to do it on the fly. And whenever I have to deal with decimal points on the fly, it's always difficult. But anyway, that's I But if you go to stout labs, covid.stoutlabs.com, you will um, uh, he'll do all the math for you. And you can graph it, too. And you can see how your state's doing. So, uh, so the thing about five people per hundred thousand or whatever—that's a ridiculously low number. I believe so. So, <clears throat> but remember, at one point in this country, we probably had five per hundred thousand in just Washington State. The next thing we know, we've got a you know five million in this country. So, five people. If they uh, infect, if each one of them infects two people, so you get 5 to 10 to 20 to 40, 80. And do you remember that that old trick that you could pull on your dad where you say, give me a penny the first day and two pennies the next day and then four and double it every time Mm -hmm. then eight, 16, 32. And it seems like, oh, that's no big deal. By the end of a month, it's millions of dollars because that's what doubling does. And that's that so-called exponential increase. So when, when you have an R sub T and an R sub zero of two or greater, you will get doubling of your numbers each time that you test it. And then that, that you can go to infinity with that very quickly.
1: So how quickly are our numbers falling? Like, not just us, in, in general, how quickly can the numbers fall? Like, is it a slow process?
0: It depends, again. Or, so okay. if we hermetically sealed everyone, in a room, it would take about 55 days for all the people who are seriously ill to be either discharged from the hospital or dead and everybody else would be done with it. So if we did it today, somehow we could magically put everyone in their own dome and we could feed them and water them and just keep them there for, you know, for 21 to 55 days, we could be done with it. So, uh, when we hit herd immunity, all herd immunity is going to do, of course, is make that R sub T. And if people don't remember what that is, just go to live. That's the uh, number of people in practice one person is going to infect. So if we can reduce it to 0.9... Um, then a thousand people will affect 900 people which will infect 810 people which will infect 720 well remember each one of those generations of infection can be anywhere from 7 to 55 days but uh, let's just take an average of 21 days so every 21 days you'll see that continue to decrease so in in a state where you only have a thousand cases it's going to still take you know 10 21, day so it's 210 days okay. before it's completely gone doing it that way that's why we want to vaccinate people because we can induce herd immunity overnight and then and then we can be done with this very quickly um let's see some bored you're just, bored yeah oh you with the show
1: oh uh, yeah that too <laughs> but yes. but mostly just um in general
0: yeah you want to get back out there well that's why we need a therapeutic or we need um, a um, vaccine, and then we can be mostly done with this. We can go back to being normal again. So the United States, right now, I'm looking at it. It looks pretty damn good. If you go to com and put in new cases and just do U.S. total, you can isolate that, and you can do a 20-day uh, smooth moving average, simple moving average, you can even do what we call Bollinger Bands, which was really kind of, I was, the, to, to my knowledge, I was the first person out there using Bollinger Bands to track um, uh, COVID data. But, um, and you can see that it's absolutely is trending downward. 30 days ago, we had 60,000 new cases, and now we're down to 50,000, you know, a, a day. And it's and it's trending downward. So if that keeps up, we will be very close to zero in some period of time. If it us well, to say if we just go 10,000 uh, a month, that would be uh, six months and we'd be done just with that. Mm. You know, now, nobody wants to go six more months with this. Nope. but we could. So. All right. All right. All right. Anything else?
1: Sorry everybody. No, no, no I apologize no. for my stupid stories. No, 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 and when no, I look no, no. at health stories no, no, no. though, what are you Steve? Talking about? they they're all about acquisitions and mergers and I, I just yeah. don't think that that's what we really want to talk about.
0: So. No, well a lot of people are going out of business and they're selling their uh, selling their health systems for pennies on the dollar. That kind of stuff is happening and people are merging with other health systems to protect the, both sides from uh, bad things happening to them. So we're going to have more corporate health care, and uh, that'll be a challenge for the next you know, few Congresses and presidents and uh, populations to deal with. No question about that. All right. Well, let's do it. Number one thing. Don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. Oh, I will not.
1: And now the show starts.
0: <laughs> and what do you know? A correct hey, question. Hey, Dr. Steve, I have
2: a question for you. If
0: About 10 to 20% of COVID tests are positive. What do the other 80% of people have? It's not a flu season. Why are they getting tested? Thanks. Yeah, because there's other viruses. There are corona-like illnesses out there. And you know what? Some of them are actually caused by the four or five other endemic coronaviruses that are out there.
1: I mean, a lot of these people are quarantining, but they're still getting sick. And then they're negative or oh, no, or, he's or say about no i'm i'm oh. going somewhere with that. Oh, oh, or okay. or say they're quarantining mm-hmm. my friend julie oh, and God. then um and then they end up getting what sick or getting something and yeah. and then go get tested and it's negative right so you wonder i mean th- I'm trying to link what I'm saying to what you're no, saying.
0: You, you no, know, you're right. Anytime somebody gets an upper respiratory... It
1: comes from somewhere, They right? assume
0: that right now they've got COVID-19.
1: Okay. I love you anyway. I'm still coming to see you.
0: It's a good assumption that... Um, if right, For right now, it's a safe assumption. And, and I don't mean that that means that you're right. It means that you're being safe. If you get an upper respiratory uh, infection, you've got fever, cough chills, runny nose, that kind of stuff, muscle aches and pains that you assume for right now it's COVID-19, isolate yourself, get tested. If it's negative, there's a 20% false negative rate on some of these tests too, where Mm -hmm. you actually have it, but then they test negative. Uh, Get tested again. If you got two in a row, then you don't have it.
1: So I hear that it's really hard to actually perform the test correctly. Is that true? Uh, I don't
0: think that's true. Okay. It's you have to do it properly. But you brought up one last time where they're doing the saliva test now, mm. and uh, Yale's got a new saliva test that can be done, um, just about any lab, and it should be even more accurate, hopefully, and um, you don't, you won't have what any inaccuracies that will in it will be inherent to the test itself, not due to the way that they collected it. Right. Because if you've got a test and let's say it's not perfectly sensitive, meaning that it'll miss some positive cases and you have to do a complicated, which not really that complicated, but you've got to do a precise method of collecting, which means shoving that thing way farther into somebody's nose than they want you to shove it. Just sort of like doing a gonorrhea test. you got to shove that swab way (laughs) farther into the urethra than the person wants you to do. I hear it's so painful. It's not fun from what I hear. That that one I can say I've not had.
1: No, no, not that one. But well, I guess both.
0: Yeah. Well, the urethra is pretty sensitive.
1: Well, yes, but the coronavirus is Yeah,
0: sticking it up and you feel like they're sticking the thing into your brain. And um, if you don't do that, Properly, then you're inducing an in, in, an increased level of error into that test. Where if it had a 15 percent false negative rate, now you've maybe run it up to 40 percent or higher. So uh, that the saliva test is a nice breakthrough, and hopefully that'll make things easier for everybody to get tested and um, and be more accurate about it. So. Yeah, so the other 80% of people either they were false negative or they've got para influenza, which is uh, another non-influenza influenza-like illness. There's uh, four or five other endemic coronaviruses which this one probably will will join that group in a generation. Um, and, and there are just other things that you can get allergies. I, my allergies will mimic an upper respiratory Mm -hmm.
1: infection. They do. Absolutely. I
0: used to think I got sick every April and every October. Well, I got that damn virus again. And I'm a physician. I should know better. It took a while for it to strike me that this is really allergies because it was more than just sort of a runny nose or itchy eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was sick. But uh, treating it with uh, regular allergy stuff makes it better. So that's really, you know, yeah. indicated that's what it was. And I got an allergy tested, and they sort of proved it. But anyway, so, yep, that's what's going on there.
2: Hey, Dr. Steven, let me try this again. Okay. I am a 60-year-old man with a 60, 56-year-old sweetheart. Um, we're kind of freaky and kinky, and we like to bring men into our bedroom. Oh. Um We also grow our own weed and um, smoke a lot daily. So here's my question. I've recently read about the saliva tests that are
0: relatively new, I guess. Um, what he's talking about is a saliva drug test now the reason we have those is it's just too easy when you've got somebody that you call them in because you're suspicious that something's going on you call them in for a pill count and a urine drug screen for them to go oh I peed before I came in Mm -hmm. you know what that's okay just spit in the cup that's what that's for or oh let me get a hair test oh doc I just shaved my head you can't oh that's fine I'll take some off of your arm you know Yeah. So there's ways that we can uh, get around that. And this is one of those is this saliva test.
2: Concern is I have recently become aware that you can transmit THC via saliva. It's my understanding from everything I've read that it's a minuscule amount and lasts a very, uh, doesn't last very long. So I'm asking you as a, Medical doctor, I know you're pro marijuana,
0: all that. I love you, dude. I've been listening to you forever. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm pro legalization. Yes, I think it should be legal, and um, regulated, just like alcohol is. But that's you know, I'm, that's my libertarian bent. My concern
2: is whether or not she can have enough THC in her saliva to transmit it to him via kissing, oral sex, whatever. I don't want to put him in jeopardy of failing a military um, urinalysis. He's a good guy. I care about him. Don't want to, um, yeah. you know, put him in jeopardy. I got it. So got it. tell I, me what you think.
0: Well, I don't, hmm. don't, don't take my word for this, you know, at just at face value. Um My understanding of the saliva tests is they're not as sensitive as the urine test. And that, uh, for example, marijuana, heavy marijuana use will show up in the urine for uh, up to 30 days, whereas it will only be a matter of a week or less in saliva. So uh, that's my understanding. Now, every test is different. Every lab is different. But I think in general... If this person is not doing drugs, if there's no way that she's transmitting enough saliva to him where they may be able to detect it with a really sensitive machine, but it will not rise to the level of being a positive test.
1: So it should be something where they maybe seal it, see it a little bit and then say, well, we need to retest you. No, I don't even
0: think they'll even see it. Oh, what I'm saying is it, it, it in theory if there's one molecule, in, in, theory, in theory, you could maybe detect it with a sensitive, sensitive enough detector. But that's not how these things work. You have to have a certain level. There has to be a cutoff. And once you hit that cutoff, then it's considered positive. There's no way in hell this guy is getting a positive test from that. Uh, really, the sort of the rule of thumb with pot particularly is if you're not ingesting enough to get high, it's unlikely you're going to have a positive drug screen. Um, now let me just throw out one caveat is that some places have a zero tolerance for everything and even CBD, if you're buying CBD at a place and you don't know what, what the percentage of CBD, the ratio between CBD and THC is in that particular batch that you've got, you, um, uh, run the risk of uh, getting a batch that's got a little bit too much THC in it and then peeing a, a positive blood test or a positive urine screen. And we have a, an employer here that sent out a letter that said, you all can do CBD if you want, but if it causes you to have a positive urine uh, blood screen for THC, you're fired. So um, and so if you're going to be doing CBD, you want to do it from a reputable uh, manufacturer, somebody that you know the numbers someone like feels or something like that okay okay
1: because there's all kinds of cbd oil everywhere from yep. all these farms
0: <laughs> yes especially
1: the, where we live
0: and the fda has said we've pulled some from the shelves and some of it's got way too much thc in it or some of it doesn't have cbd I know, in it at i'm all. sure
1: a lot of people are like well it's the stuff that works yeah that shit is
0: <laughs> yeah well virginia just passed um legal uh, prescription-strength CBD and THC oil, as long as the THC, I think, is less than 10 milligrams. And uh, you have to, the physician has to, or the provider has to have a license to do it, which is $50, and they fill something out, and the patient has to have one as well. And they can't go to a pharmacy. they got to go to a to a uh, certified state uh, manufacturer. And uh, it's all crazy. Just make it legal. but particularly for hospice patients or cancer pain patients or uh, for just generalized prescription use, why should we deprive our patients from something we know is effective? For example, hospice patients uh, eat better, they feel better, they have a better quality of life when they're using uh, marijuana products than if they aren't. So why would we deprive them of that? I don't understand that. How, why is it that that would be illegal for them to have when we know that it's not harmful to them and um, it's, uh, it's beneficial? And what is harmful to them is right now you're, we're seeing people have uh, fentanyl and other drugs in their urine drug screens. And these are people that you pretty much believe have only done marijuana, but that's being laced with stuff. Yeah. So if it's manufactured and it goes through that whole process, you know, it's going to be uh, uh, what what you think is in it, you know. So
1: interesting question.
0: Very interesting. It's
1: very kind of him to care.
0: Yeah, I know it is.
1: No, it is. He doesn't want to get
0: the guy in trouble. I think that's cool. Um, if we were going to have somebody else in here, it's not going to be some dude. I'm just telling you right now. That's, you know, I, That doesn't make you a bad oh, person.
1: Oh, damn. Anything, there goes my <laughs> conversation tonight.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to have a different conversation tonight. <laughs> hey, Dr. Steve. Hi, Tacey. I've been soaking the tub a lot more lately, and I noticed uh, that my fingers prune up. I remember that from my childhood, and I was just wondering why. Um, What's so special about the skin on fingers and toes that makes them prune up? Um, I'm guessing it's probably um, an instinct to like a fight or flight, but I don't know. Thanks, Dr. Steve. This is a fascinating question because if you think about it, why is it just the fingers and the toes that get pruney? You ever thought about that? Why didn't your elbow get pruney?
1: Never thought about it.
0: But you've noticed that effect, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So... I used to think that it was because the fingers somehow got waterlogged. You're in the water for a long time, and water soaks in and somehow swells up the tissues. And then there's fibrous tissue that can't swell, and so it makes this prune look completely wrong. Completely wrong. The skin is pretty impervious to water, which is a good thing. And uh, it turns out that prune fingers occur when the nervous system sends a message to the blood vessels to become narrower. And then those narrowed blood vessels reduce the volume of the fingertips just slightly, just enough, causing the folds of skin to appear that make these wrinkles. And uh, for the longest time, and I'm looking at an article from Medical News today to give them credit, uh, for the longest time didn't understand what the purpose of this was. But they did a study in 2013 that suggested it's easier to grip objects in water with wrinkled fingers meaning that the phenomena may be an evolutionary advantage for our ancestors so if they were spending a lot of time in the water um, and then they got pruny fingers they were more able to they had more surface area and it's sort of like um, treads on a tire and they were and then they were more able to uh, have a a, a, to grip things underwater and maybe to stand up and move around in the water without falling down and that tiny advantage that that gave to them is enough for that gene to be passed down uh, uh, from generation to generation until here we are sitting here talking about it that's cool so what do you think of that? I
1: always thought it was just waterlogged. Yeah,
0: I did too. Mm-hmm. That, that makes the most sense, right? When you, but if you think about it, well, then why is not the rest of your body get all pruny? So, all mm-hmm. right. Well, thank you, Tase. We will. You're uh, welcome. Reconvene next week. We can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Charsky, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts. Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, the great Rob Bartlett, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, who supported this show, has never gone unappreciated. And by the way, next week, we've got some news on My Voice, and we had a guy that called in, that we didn't get to his call this week, that had exactly the same thing, and us talking about it on the show uh, uh, helped him to understand what was going on with him. So we'll play that next week.
1: Okay, good. Uh,
0: listen to our Sirius XM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern and Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern on demand and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks. Go to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy and go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and merch and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Mass.
1: Goodbye, everyone. Casey,
0: put your clothes back on. What are you doing? (laughs)